0: You're listening to the Maximum Advisor Podcast, a show that empowers financial advisors to set goals, take action, and grow their practice. Your host, Chip Munn, is an award-winning advisor and CEO whose advice is regularly featured in Business Insider, Thrive Global, and The Streets Retirement Daily. Listen in as he sits down with industry experts to talk about building a practice and making an impact. Welcome back to the Maximum Advisor Podcast. I'm your host, Chip Munn, and today I'm joined by Steve Worshing, CFP. Steve is the president of the Client-Driven Practice and co-host of the Becoming Referrable Podcast. Steve, welcome to the show. Well, Chip, thank you so
1: much for having me on. It's really exciting to be able to speak with you.
0: Well, I am a big fan of your show, so to all of our listeners, if you you haven't checked out Steve's show, Becoming Referrable, it's a fantastic resource For us as advisors, I've really enjoyed that. And so I've had an opportunity to to get to know a little bit about your background, been following you for a while, but for the benefit of our listeners, tell us a little bit about how, how you got here today,
1: Steve. Well, I've been hanging around this business for about 32 years now, which is a little terrifying to say. I started as a registered rep and became a branch manager and then a division manager and then left there to become an independent financial planner. And not long after that, got invited to join the home office of the firm I was with and and gradually did more and more work with advisors and less and less work with clients until I was COO. And then got recruited away to be president of another broker dealer and then uh, left that about nine years ago to start a consulting company. And the broker dealers I worked in were both very small. And so everybody did everything. And so, you know, I've been a compliance officer and an operations officer and have done a lot of that kind of stuff. But what I always found was that the most fun part was helping advisors refine their message and build their business that way. Because financial advisors spend all of their time learning how to be really good financial advisors and marketing and, and that messaging is, is a whole separate thing. So that's how I got to this consulting company.
0: It's interesting because you see Folks who were consulting or coaching kind of come at it from a lot of different ways. One of the things that I've always appreciated about your background is you've sat where we do. I mean, you Mm -hmm. were an advisor. You've been through all those things. Now, Steve, one of the things that you're known for is client advisory councils. And and so I wanted to spend some time today kind of talking through those because I think that it's something that if you Google – client advisory council, you get all kinds of different things. And and I think that it's, it's one of those things that a lot of us as advisors, we've heard about it, we know that we should do it, but we don't necessarily know what it is or why. So why don't we start with what is a client advisory council from your perspective?
1: A client advisory board is a facilitated ongoing conversation with about a dozen of your best target clients. So, that you can gain insight into their perspective on the experience that you provide and understand, therefore, how to improve it.
0: That's pretty sure. You said that a time or two. I have. <laughs> you <laughs> noticed that, right? That, that, I have.
1: That didn't come across as rehearsed or anything, did it? <laughs> no, no, not at all. But I mean, it,
0: but it's one of those things, like I said, it can mean different things to different people. And so, I, I think that's a very succinct way. To put it, the four words that I wrote down were facilitated, ongoing, and best clients. So when you look at and talk with advisors about advisory boards, why are they important? What's important about sitting down? And it sounds almost dumb, right? To say it out loud. What's important about sitting and talking to our clients?
1: Well, Many advisors believe that they've worked with their clients for long enough that they understand what those clients want and they've, you know, gradually worked out an experience that optimizes, you know, what their clients are looking for. But in reality, that's not true because it's the advisor who invariably is setting the agenda for the meetings when they get together. And so very few advisors have actually... Reserved a meeting or made a point of having a conversation where you don't talk about their plan and you don't talk about their portfolio, but you talk about, you know, let's talk about what we do for you and how we can do it better. You know, of all the things that we do, what's most valuable to you? And what do we spend too much time on? And what do we not spend enough time on? And it's those kinds of questions that don't get into the conversation. But when you're dealing with the day to day, for most advisors, that thought doesn't occur to them, but there is tremendous value. And sitting that group of folks down, and I will refine what you said, not just best, but target, the target clients, the people that you most want to clone, the people that most resemble the next person you want to walk in the door to find out why would you walk in this door and what about our experience sets us apart from other advisors and you know gradually learn about each of the parts of the experience that you provide so you can get clues as to how to make it better for them and and therefore attract more of So when you say target, does that mean
0: that we should have a cross section of, So, so for example, one of the things that I deal with is an aging client population. And so while some younger folks might not be necessarily the best right, in terms of however you quantify that, they certainly could be for a lot of practices, a target, is it important to kind of include a variety of perspective or does that matter?
1: Well, I, I think it does matter. And I encourage advisors not to do that sort of broad spectrum, you know, let's represent everybody in our business kind of approach to it. So let's say that your target is pre-retirees. So you've developed a unique niche experience around people approaching the retirement transition. And, and I use niche and target differently, which is a topic for a different conversation. But let's say that you developed a niche around retirement, coaching people through retirement. So you have specialized knowledge in things like social security and health insurance in retirement and how to do retirement distributions in a tax efficient way. So the people that you really want to attract are people who are, let's say, you know, within five years or so, just to throw a number out there, of retirement. The people that you should put on your board are people who are either within five years of retirement or have recently retired with your coaching. So they can give you insights as to how it went for them and what value you communicated as you were coaching them through it. So if you bring in people who've been retired for 20 years or if you bring in people who are 40 years old, well, their needs and wants are gonna be different. And so it kind of muddles the feedback. It makes it a lot harder to interpret because you're looking at a range of different wants and needs. And so what I recommend is that you be pretty specific about who you want to attract as a client and you comprise your advisory board of some of your best clients who fit that profile.
0: So one of the things that I find challenging is exactly what you said. And maybe it's because... Of the makeup of the boards that we've had in the past is like you said, you can get kind of a broad spectrum of feedback that's kind of hard to wrap your head around and and find anything actionable out of. Yeah, exactly. One example being a lot of our, and I'm going to come back to what do we talk about, but it could also be from our perspective, asking the wrong questions, because I think that that's one of the things that I have struggled with in the past is if you ask the wrong question, it's hard to do much, I guess, with the answer. And so we've seen times where we ask our, you know, again, our, our best, our target clients about kind of how do we build our business with people like you? And they pivot to you should be working with younger people. Right. And I I don't know if that comes from concerns about children. Yeah. So
1: what are your thoughts on that? So you bring up a couple of really important points. First is that the questions that you ask, both the ones that you choose and how you construct them is one of the most important aspects of having a successful feedback exercise, but certainly advisory board. So there are a whole, list of principles that we use. And to use your example specifically, so one of the principles is ask questions that your board is qualified to answer. Now, this is really important because they will happily give you opinions that they're totally unqualified to give, like how to rewrite your marketing. Your facilitator should never permit a board to start rewriting your website for you that just wouldn't be appropriate unless you have a board comprised entirely of marketing professionals. They don't know how to do it. And everybody's got a feeling about it, but they're not qualified. I had the chance to go to a read-through of a play that was in development where my wife and I are subscribers to the local professional theater company, and they have these special events once in a while. And every so often you get to go in and a playwright will have brought a new play to the theater, and they will assemble a group of people who are Candidates to be actors in it, and they'll do a read through of a portion of that play, and then they get feedback from the audience. The person moderating the thing is very, very clear before anybody can speak, and in saying, It's not okay to rewrite this play, it is okay to tell us how it made you feel. And that's the embodiment of ask questions that they are qualified to answer. So, for example, you would never ask what should we do to bring in new clients? Because unless they are marketing professionals, they're not in a position to tell you that. But what you could say is, if you received this communication, how would you respond to it? How would you feel about it? If you didn't know us yet, and you read this piece right here, would you want to speak with us more? And invariably, and I I deal with this all the time, people will say, Well, I think that most people, and I will cut them off, you know, I'll try my best not to be rude, but you know, I am a New Yorker. You know, I will do it politely, but I'll say, hang on a second. What we really want to know is how you feel about it. So I appreciate that you have thoughts about how other people, but you are our most important client. We want to know how you feel about that. So that's a critically important concept. Another related concept is while you need to be asking almost entirely open-end questions which means not yes or no which is a closed end but you know a, a question that stimulates more conversation you have to be careful about how broad you get with it you know it's generally unproductive to ask questions like what new service should we offer or how can we get word out to people more broadly it's too wide and there are better ways of constructing those questions so that you give people enough to work with so that they can give you meaningful feedback.
0: Yeah. I could hang up the phone at, at this point. I, I've gotten this, you know, <laughs> no, please don't. <laughs> yeah. And I, as you're speaking, it floods into my mind, the difference between someone with a lot of experience and someone who is a professional at this thing and somebody like me who is an amateur, who is saying, you know what, we should have one of those. Yeah. Yeah. How hard can it be to sit down and talk (laughs) to my client? And I'm I'm sure I feel comfortable. I'm not the only one who is that way. You mentioned your facilitator should, Uh, is this not the kind of thing that an advisor should or can do themselves?
1: You know, this is the epitome of don't try this at home. Part of it is that as you were just sort of commenting on facilitation is a skill facilitation is learned the way I would say it to a financial advisor would be clients are perfectly capable of choosing their own mutual funds. But of course there is value in having professional guidance to do it because the fact is all good advisors know way more about mutual funds or, or other investment programs than clients do. So the same is true for, for a lot of things, facilitation included. The other aspect of that, so beyond it just being a skill, is that my feeling is that an advisory board is a relationship building experience. And if that's going to be the case, then it's important that the advisor be involved in the conversation. But when the advisor stands up and walks to the front of the room, it fundamentally changes the dynamic of the relationship between the participants and the person running the meeting. So... It changes things in a way where it's no longer an active conversation between you and your clients. Now, you know, you're sort of the guy at the head of the room leading the meeting and and you're not in the group anymore to some extent. But part of what a facilitator will do is sort of deflect things and reroute a conversation or even to be, you know, a target if that's what's needed. I'll give you a couple of examples. One example is if a client asks for an explanation one of the things that you don't want is for the advisor to give an explanation a rationale work their thinking through on something because as soon as you do conversation will stop people go to you for advice they trust your judgment and if you say well this is why we did that everybody will say okay that sounds good and that's the last feedback you'll get on that topic so when that happens it's really helpful to have a third party there who can say hang on a second before i let chip answer that question let me ask you this and and sort of reroute it so that you don't fall into that trap or you know if if you want to take it to an extreme and this is only i mean i've done hundreds of these meetings and this has only happened once or twice but let's say your biggest client won't keep his mouth closed right everybody else needs to speak too well you know first a facilitator is trained to handle that but even if The facilitator can't do it without making your biggest client angry. Wouldn't you rather him be angry at the facilitator and not you? So there are all kinds of reasons to have a third party and specifically a skilled third party running your meeting for you. That makes
0: a lot of sense. Now, in that setup where you have a facilitator, what is both kind of before and during the meeting? What's the advisor's
1: role? The advisor's role is to seek information and that may sound obvious but in my experience of many advisors it's hard to do advisors on the whole have pretty healthy self-images have pretty healthy personalities advisors generally have a vested interest in the experience that they have designed for clients so it's not that uncommon that that i will have to sort of gracefully encourage an advisor to go back into questioning mode as opposed to explaining mode because the clients may not be getting it. And the important aspect of that exchange is that they are providing you incredibly important information. If they aren't getting it, then either you need to change it or you need to explain it better. And a lot of the times it's just the latter. I ran an advisory board a few weeks ago, and as is sometimes the case, there was a vendor present because sometimes they will help fund the events. and. Sometimes it can be helpful to have their input on it because they have a broader perspective on the industry. And after the meeting, we were talking and, and he said, there are so many advisors I work with that think this is a good idea. So they, they go to start one. And I got to tell you, none of them ran as well as this one did. That's because, you know, you've got a professional at the head of the room running it as opposed to the advisor trying to do it themselves. So from a
0: process standpoint, you know, before you show up into the room and I, I know you have a kit that can help folks who who want to begin the process on their own. But mm-hmm. for those of us, if we were to bring in a facilitator on the front end, I'm assuming, is there an interview process? How do you figure out what you're going to ask about during
1: the meeting? We have a specific process because really all we do is financial advisors and we've been doing it for eight or nine years now. So we've sort of worked out a process and, and we've developed a process that is a progression of the life of an advisory board through the first four or five years. Because at the beginning, we want to find out generally about how the clients perceive the advisor and what they find valuable in the relationship. But then we go on to systematically deconstruct the experience and ask for feedback on each of the parts of that experience. So for example, meeting number two, we would typically dissect a review meeting because that's something that all clients go through on a regular basis for their entire life of the relationship. So we want to make sure we've maximized it. We want to make sure that we've optimized it. And, you know, and then it goes on a step at a time through that. Now, after you've had two or three meetings, all of which have to be totally about the client, they all have to be about, we want to make this better for you. Once you've done a few of those, you've earned the right to ask for some help on things that may not necessarily help, clients specifically and they're always more than happy to pitch in and help so you might ask questions about your marketing you might ask questions about your onboarding process or your planning process so we have a progression of things that we walk through that goes the first meeting is the value questions and then we start dissecting the experience but then also anything that is really on the advisor's mind we can ask so if the advisor has redesigned reports or if they have changed their meeting structure, or if they are thinking of relocating, or if they want to bring in a new partner, or if somebody is retiring, you know, whatever's on the advisor's mind, we incorporate those in the meetings too, outside of just our sort of standard progression of topics. So I would have to think you get at least
0: a little bit of pushback from advisors about asking some of these questions, asking for critique of things like, the review meeting?
1: We do sometimes, sure. One of the important ideas that we try to communicate to advisors is that they go into it with what we call Zen mind, which means you are open to whatever happens. You're open to feedback. You do not respond to the feedback. We just take it in. We let the ideas wash over us and then we move on to the next thing. I would say if an advisor is convinced that they have the best possible client experience and there's really nothing significant they would ever want to change, don't have an advisory board. Because the worst thing that you can do is to bring a bunch of your best clients in, have them give you a whole bunch of feedback and then refuse to act on any of it. But having said that, you're not committed, you're not obligated to do exactly what they ask. And that's that's a common misconception. So there is pushback from advisors sometimes about What if they ask me something that I don't want to do? Or or what if they say I really need to do something that that I don't want to do? That's okay. Because your commitment to the clients, to to the board members, is not that you will do whatever they say. Your commitment is that you will listen and hear what they have to say. And there are lots of times where an advisor may go back to a board and say, we asked about this last time. Here's what you said. So we looked into it. And here's what we found. It's too expensive, it's against regulations, it's not practical, it would have these other unintended consequences. And that's perfectly fine because you're reflecting back to them, look, we heard you and we looked into it, we gave our best effort in seeing if we could carry this through. The best kind of outcome in that situation is that you get feedback, you look into it, it's not practical. You might even have known that in the meeting and that's fine. You don't have to say it in the meeting, What you want to be able to do is to go back next time and say, we looked into it. So you heard it, you looked into it, it's not going to work, but you also heard what they were looking for, which was not specifically what they asked for, but they wanted something, you know, they were looking for some benefit, some change, some difference in what you did. And so if you come back and say, here's what you told us, we looked into it, we worked as hard as we could at it. We can't do that. But how about this? This is another idea that occurred to us that we think we could do if you think that would make the kind of change that you were looking for. That's a very powerful thing to say to clients, and it increases loyalty and it increases things like referral behavior because you are clearly listening to them and trying to make the best experience that they could possibly find with an advisor.
0: Ideally, that's what everybody wants, right, is to be heard. Hmm? because one of my questions which you answered was do you have to follow their advice and so it's good to know that again you should listen but it's not necessarily a requirement that and again for me that goes back to asking the right questions and having the right people on the board because you know again if you don't uh, again you, you nailed it earlier when you said you don't ask about your marketing unless you've got a bunch of marketing professionals in the room. And so I think that makes again, a ton of sense for me. What size Steve is the ideal for a board? How many board members should you have and kind of in addition or along with that, how often do you have board meetings?
1: We find that the 12 to 16 seems to be about the best trade-off between having enough people there to always be having new ideas thrown into the conversation and it getting so large that it becomes unwieldy. I've done meetings smaller than that, and I've done meetings much larger than that. But 12 to 16 is a good, comfortable number. Everybody gets a voice. Uh, It Processing any individual question doesn't take overly long because you're going to get 12 to 16 answers, but you're not going to take time to get 24 answers, for example. Everyone can comfortably see and hear each other. And most of our clients meet two or three times a year. Sometimes it's three at the beginning, and then it gradually reduces to two once you've gotten a few of the meetings out of the way. Sometimes they start right out at two, but two or three a year is is the most common. So when you've looked at
0: your experience, you've done hundreds of these. Let's take it from the advisor's perspective first, and then from the client's perspective what is a good result? What is a job well done? What does it feel like or look like for the advisor
1: and for the client? For the advisor, success looks like we found out something that was really important to our clients and we never knew that before. That's the best possible thing you could ask for because then you have an opportunity to improve your service to them. And, you know, we hear all the time, you know, everybody talks about, oh, you've got to provide the best possible service and you've got to distinguish yourself based on service. Well, you can't distinguish yourself on service by getting better and better and better. There is a limit to that. And better to one client is not necessarily better in a meaningful way to another client you know you might be really killing yourself to to get a little bit better and a little bit better at something that you know but for the client it reached the point of diminishing returns a long time ago so they may not even notice the difference and you're really straining to try to make it a little bit better but making it a little bit different okay now we've got a whole new ball game so from the advisor's standpoint Getting that kind of feedback that gives you, you know, the, the information to improve or change your service in a way that is meaningful to your target clients, that's the best outcome. From the client standpoint, the best outcome is, wow, every advisor I've ever spoken to tells me how dedicated they are to their clients. But this guy brought me in here and asked me about it and is telling me that he's willing to change based on what he's asking me. That's amazing. So from the client standpoint, to be heard and to have the opportunity to give input into what kind of experience they receive from the advisor is a successful outcome.
0: Steve, why do you think more advisors don't do advisory boards?
1: The easy answer is fear. I think there are some advisors that may feel explicitly or may be uncomfortable because this is under the surface and not explicit, but... You know, I I think that there is a concern that, you know, well, what if my client says something bad about me or even worse, what if my client says something bad about me in front of a dozen of my other best clients or, you know, asks me something unreasonable or has some kind of a complaint? I think that's one of the biggest reasons that, that advisors don't embrace advisory boards. Once you've sort of thought your way through that, you realize that's actually a little silly. Because if you're bringing in some of your best clients, they already like you. They've given you all their money and they trust you. And they wouldn't agree to something like this if they didn't feel really good about your business. And in fact, there is no meeting I've ever held where somebody actually made a complaint about the advisor in the meeting. So that's one thing. And and another possibility is that you know, some advisors just don't want to change, you know, that they're one way or another, and this could manifest a couple of different ways. But, you know, advisors, some advisors may feel like I know what's best for these folks. I've spent years and years working out this experience. My clients have no experience designing these experiences, and I know better than they do what they want. And so I don't want a bunch of clients coming in here and rocking the boat because we've got a good thing going here. I think those are the two biggest reasons people don't do it.
0: I can certainly speak to the fear part. Sure. I'm glad you mentioned that because I think that whether it's uh, something like this or surveys or or a lot of the things that you and Julie work with in engaging people is the price of getting engagement, of getting referrals, is getting over being afraid.
1: And one thing I will add to that is that, you know, something that I hear from advisors every once in a while is that their clients are extremely private about their finances and they would never allow anyone to know who their advisor was or anything about them. And they would not only not participate in an advisory board, but they would be insulted by the idea that you would ask them to be so public about that. And I can tell you that is utterly, totally false. It has never come up and and any advisor who believes my clients are just too private to participate does not know their clients that well because we find that clients appreciate the opportunity to give the feedback. They enjoy these meetings and even more than that, they get to like each other. One of the things that is really cool about advisory boards because what we suggest is that you keep a board consistent for a while and then only gradually start rotating membership through. One of the things people really look forward to after a little while is coming to the board meeting and seeing all the other people around the table because they really like them. You know, there's probably a lot of similarities between your clients. A lot of them would probably get along. And that's one of the things we find happening. Sure. Well, and you also, at least I've seen, clients who
0: didn't know that you know, one who didn't know the other was a client It's kind of like, Hey, you work with them too. I I didn't know that. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. You're right. Because we we've got a, an advisory board that we've done now for about a year and a half, pretty consistently. One of the things that I'll just throw out there, you didn't, but, but I will is the trouble for a lot of the advisors that I've worked with is the consistency of, and I've been one of them, consistency of actually having the board meetings because you can, get to a place where administratively, if you don't have somebody who is uh, diligent about follow up and follow through, you know, we've had a board years ago that eventually we just didn't have the meetings and you
1: can't do that. But it's Right. Somebody needs to be responsible for championing the project and being committed to it. Just like you probably would never even consider not following up. A client review meeting or not following through on something that you promised a client that you would do about their plan, you've got to be consistent about this too. And somebody needs to be in charge of that. So that's, it's it's a great point. I'm glad you brought that up.
0: Well, and that's been one of the biggest changes for us in, in the last year and a half is having somebody, you know, we hired somebody to do development work who is, or was, spent 10 years at a foundation running a charitable foundation and they had a board. And so, you know, she has done a great job of, again, keeping the the drumbeat going Mm -hmm. of making sure that we're, we're doing those things. Now I've learned a lot today that we definitely can do better in terms of being very intentional is a word that I would use. I mean, from, from what you said earlier, intentional about thinking through whether that is, Hiring somebody to come in and to do it with you, or at a minimum, just thinking through probably to a greater extent than I have before, what you're going to ask, why you're going to ask it, and and the wording of those things.
1: The other thing that I'll add to that last thing is not only do you need to be consistent about your meetings, but you need to be diligent about the follow through on the feedback that you receive. So if by the end of the meeting, you have a list of three or four action items of things to look into, it's really important that you set time aside on your calendar to look into those things or that you assign someone on your staff the task of looking into those things. Because I've been in the situation where the advisor did not follow through on a couple of those things and they didn't do it for a couple of meetings consistently. And you know, when we started the next meeting, one of the board members said, you know, we happily get together with you and we appreciate your buying us a meal, but you know, are you doing anything with this? And you'd never, ever want to hear that in an advisory board. I mean, like I I think I may have mentioned before, getting the feedback and not acting on it is worse than never have asked at all. And so the commitment to the board is not just to have consistent meetings, but it's to take the information that you get and do something with it. It may not be what they asked for, just like we said before, but but you need to do something with it. Even even if it's to look into it as thoroughly as you can and to bring back to the board, you know, we looked into it, just no way we can do that. That's okay. That's acceptable because you honored the feedback that they gave you by being committed to looking into it. Well,
0: nobody wants to waste their time. And I think that in a lot of us are in the business of taking worry, anxiety, problems, hassle out of our clients' lives. And so to take 10 or 12 or 16 of our best, bring them together, take up their time, and then never do anything with it is, yeah, it's a waste of their time. So it, it definitely is the kind of thing where it could backfire on you for sure. I could I yeah. could definitely see that. Steve, we did some research in my practice last year, or I guess the end of last year going into business planning, and even not nearly well done as kind of what we're talking about here, our client advisory board actually accounted for better than 50% of the new assets that came into our firm last year. And that's poorly done. I'm curious as to kind of, as we begin the process of wrapping up, can you share a success story? What What's something that one or two examples of things that you've seen that have come as great successes from a client advisory board?
1: Well, I think Probably the best story is is a, a board from a long time ago. And if we really get into the planning of one, we we talk about, especially for the first couple of meetings, we talk about the value of having a curmudgeon there. And a curmudgeon is someone who is not necessarily just a complainer, but is not afraid to speak their mind, right, about stuff that they see as different. And the reason for that is because you need to break the ice that way somehow. People are not going to want to say anything that might potentially hurt your feelings. So it's It's very useful to have somebody who says, you know, I've always had a concern about how you do this because that opens up the opportunity for you to say, I'm really glad you said that. Let us look into it, which is enlightening for a lot of the other people. Anyway, so this meeting went on and this guy who was a target client and a really good client of the firm, but had never given a referral to him before, you know, went through the meeting and and raised a few issues, but it was a good meeting and they got a lot out on the table. and. At the end of the meeting, everybody else left and he stayed behind and he sat with the advisor and he moved a piece of paper across the table to the advisor and said, hey, here are two or three people that I really want you to give a call to. I really think that you could help them. And the advisor said, I really appreciate that. I'm really grateful for that. But, you know, you've, you've never recommended anybody to us before. I'm curious, you know, why now? And he said, I always thought you gave me such great service because I complained. Now, listening to all these other people around the table, I realize it's the service you provide everybody. So that's a a dramatic example of the kind of success story that you can get from a well-run board.
0: Right. Well, and not what you were looking for. I think that showing up and being, again, as I'm processing, the the benefit of having a facilitator is being able to be present in the, the meet, you're talking about the Zen mind. I mean, just, yep. just being able to be there and to participate and to kind of stay in that moment with the client, you end up with, in this case, again, really something you weren't even going in. It's a best case scenario, but it's, yep. it's not what you were looking for probably through the, the question and answer and feedback portion. That's right. Well, Steve... We're an action oriented podcast. It's important to me that, you know, folks listen and be able to, if they want to take action on what it is that we've been talking about. If you were talking to an advisor who wanted to grow his practice, what's one thing that you would suggest that they could do today to start the process of either starting or improving their
1: client advisory board? You mean apart from calling us? Sure. Well, let's see. You know, I think it may seem oversimplified, but you could just say, you know, we're going to do an advisory board at some point over the next six months. And that would be one good step in the direction. And another thing that you could do is make a commitment to have a few meetings with clients where you deliberately put a few questions on the agenda about the service you provide and not about their plan. And my suggestion is, if you're not going to have a separate meeting about that, that you do it at the beginning of the meeting, because by the end of the meeting, their head is full and they're, they've are they just had to deal with a whole lot of information and then you may be running late. And this is a suggestion that came from one of the advisors we work with, actually, is, is put it at the beginning of the meeting to ask them about what it's like to have that review meeting or ask them, you know, of all the things that you do for them, what is most valuable for them and why? So that would be one thing that, that people could do that can give you some interesting insights. And then, you know, if you decide to move on to an advisory board later, it's one of those things that that you might dig into a little bit further if it was surprising.
0: And what better way to get over or begin getting over the fear of asking right. for that feedback than to do it in a one-on-one setting until you get more comfortable and, and you realize that the people that you're asking want to help you because they want you to get
1: Better, right? Exactly. They want you to do a better job for them. But also, many clients sort of vaguely correlate your success with their success. Absolutely. So, the more successful you are in a lot of ways, they feel like that secures their own future. So, clients are motivated to help. For sure. It's the old Jerry
0: Maguire help me help you, right? Right. (laughs) Right. Steve, for folks who want to hear more, for you know, we've kind of wet their beak in thinking about Client Advisory Board, if somebody wanted to reach out to you, kind of follow up, learn more, what's the best way for folks to get in touch with you?
1: Well, the best way is you can go to our website, which is the clientdrivenpractice.com. You can go there and see about all the different things that we can do for you. You can go directly to our Client Advisory Board page, which is cabkit.clientdrivenpractice.com. Or you can listen to Julie and I on the Becoming Referable podcast. You can absorb our podcast. If you go to our website, you know, we, you can also sign up for my blog because I put out a little business building tip every week. That's at com slash blog. So those are probably the best ways of doing it.
0: Well, Steve. I really have learned a lot. You know, it's interesting. You know, when you do one of these, I'm probably like a lot of our clients. You know, I come into to this thinking like, oh, I've been doing this, and so I'm going to know all kinds of things that Steve's going to talk about. And for somebody who's done one for a while, I've learned a lot. So I really appreciate you coming and sharing. Thank you for uh, spending time with us today.
1: Well. Thanks for having me on. I'm really excited about the growth of your podcast and excited to have you on our podcast soon. And I really appreciate the invitation. So thanks for having me on. For sure. We're looking forward to doing that. So if you've been listening and
0: you are giving this some consideration, I just want to remind you what Steve said. You know, from an action standpoint, one of the first things that anybody can do is just make a commitment. Just write it down somewhere. I'm going to do this and put a date on it. Treat yourself like you would one of your clients. And in the interim, I think Steve gave us great advice of uh, putting at the front of a client meeting, because at the end of a client meeting, they'll say anything at that point to get out of it. They're probably they're just tired. But to ask a question or two that's more about the service, it's not about their portfolio to begin the process of getting comfortable because like a lot of things, this is just something that you have to get comfortable with. We've given you a lot of information. Check out Steve's website. Again, it's the client driven practice.com. Lots of resources there. He's got an advisory board kit, all kinds of ways that you could just get started. I encourage you to do that, make that commitment. And we are looking forward to having you back here in a couple of weeks. And we'll talk to you real soon. To download what we believe is the single most important marketing, selling, and positioning tool for your practice, go to MaximumAdvisor.com scorecard
1: now. Join the conversation in our private Maximum Advisor Facebook group. And subscribe to this show anywhere you listen to podcasts or at MaximumAdvisor.com.